would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 6 has been our focus. We are looking at eight things that is seen in the face of Jesus. See, Apostle Paul has contrasted the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, and how much more is the abounding glory of the New Covenant compared to the Old Covenant? We will pray and then read verses 318 through chapter 4, verse 6. Father, we come now to hear you. Father, may your spirit and your people strengthen our task, strengthen our feebleness, these earthen vessels, these clay pots, that, Father, we may shine forth the precious treasure that is inside. Father, with all that is happening in our world, even at this day, this moment, Father, it is such a privilege to be able to look into the face of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, and see the glory of God, our Creator. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Thank you for the privilege of being in the body of Christ, your church. Father, thank you for the privilege of being possessors of your word, overwhelmed and sealed by the person of your spirit to the praise and glory of you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. We renounce the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What we're looking at in this text is verse 18 says we behold in a mirror. And verse 6 of chapter 4 says with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Both of them have to do with looking. And we are looking at the face of Christ, the face of Jesus. We looked weeks ago that... It is looking and beholding the glory of God in the person of Christ is what is salvation. Upon doing that, Paul writing to the church in Rome says, we are here to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why we, each of us, are saved. And looking through all of this, there's times that I think that we become complacent. We... we we start buying the philosophies. Uh, we, we, we start adhering to our own counsel. And when we do that, we will start understanding that the glory of God in the person of Christ will start getting dimmer and dimmer. And then you'll find yourself in the proverbial train wreck. And yet the longing should be for a child of God is to look, behold, Jesus. Behold, Jesus. Uh, yesterday morning, I was coming into town, and um, 
I've got a kind of a little wooded area that I drive through to come over to Castle Rock. And uh, I seen this doe bounce across the road, and I thought, oh, cute deer. And then right behind it was two fawns about that tall, just doinky, 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 doinky across. And Mom had jumped over the fence, and the, do- the fawns got up to the fence and got down and crawled under the bottom wire. And, but they, they did that with the twinky, dinky, dink thing. And I, all I could think of was, behold, because, you know, I see deer all the time. I, I probably see deer daily, but I don't see fawns daily. And cute as little buggers, ain't there little white spots all over them? When I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of us ever stop and say, behold? And we should stand in awe. Behold! Because he says in verse 18, we all. We all. It shouldn't say the pastor is behold. It's the evangelist. Behold. No, it is the child of God who beholds. And that should come greater and greater with every breath you are graced, every day you are granted. When I look at this, I know that when I look at Jesus, it is a look that is very clear. It isn't muddled. It isn't veiled. It isn't a shadow or a type or perhaps it's an analogy. I remember listening to a Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem explain to me that Messiah is just an age. It's not really a person. And when you are in a time of blessing, you are in a messianic age. And I thought, how much hope is there in that? Okay. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't understand stuff like that. But when you realize that so many on the planet Earth right now are veiled, they can't see it. They can't see it. But it's also a look that transforms. The more intently that I look into the face of Jesus Christ, the more the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will transform me into that very image. Look what it says. Transformed into the... Same image from glory to glory. Understanding that glory is the manifestation of the nature and attributes of God. And most of us in this room today would say that I was not born with patience. Anybody in this room born with patience? Then you're a miracle. (laughs) Uh, But I have learned in looking at the person of Christ, patience. Now, I ain't one of these who's crazy enough to get up in the morning and say, Lord, give me patience today. Okay, because what I've learned with God is he's going to give it to you whether you ask him for it or not. So don't bother him. Right. But there are other things. How about peace? Because at the moment of my salvation, I have peace with God. And because I have that peace with God, I now have the peace of God. My question on the peace of God. Exactly. What can steal God's peace? What in creation can cause God to be anxious? So when you see a person who is intently looking at the face of Jesus, you will see a person who is at peace. Okay, have you ever been in rush hour traffic? It really wants to steal your joy, doesn't it? It just has this... I'm going to get him. 
And when I get into rush hour traffic, it doesn't bother me. I was riding a motorcycle into Louisville, Kentucky at rush hour. Okay, and you're coming across the Ohio River, and you've got Indiana coming in there, and it's it just whoever planned the, the highways there is a mentally disturbed person. So I'm coming in, and it's rush hour. We were riding in a group of motorcycles that were probably about, at that time, about 3,200 of us. And we were trying to just stay into a group, but it's rush hour traffic. All right? And the next thing I know, I get cut off. I'm kind of now all by myself. The guy that was beside me is in front of a semi. The guy that's behind me is about four cars back. Okay, I can see him in my mirror. So I'm riding what they call the zipper. I'm, I'm on the line. Okay, and I'm, I'm riding right there. And all of a sudden, this semi starts getting on his brakes, and you can smell that burning. And I'm on a motorcycle smelling that burning, thinking, wow, <laughs> this has got ugly all over it. Because I had a very dear friend of mine years ago was killed when one of those semi tires, the retread blew on it, and he ran over it on his motorcycle. And I'm about... Uh, I'm about as close as I can get without being under the trailer. And so I'm just riding. I'm thinking, now, how do I get in and out of this? How do I get in and out of this? And I've got a car right here. I mean, literally, I could stuck my leg out and kick the fender. And I was kind of looking around. I'm thinking, now, d- dude, look back here. Hey, 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 I'm back here. Okay, and I'm, I'm little. <laughs> I'm really little. Don't, don't blow things off at me. And about that time, I glance over here on this side, and this lady in a Lexus is coming on the entrance ramp right beside me. And I look over at her, and I think, she's ready to propose. I think she wants to marry me. <laughs> because if this semi dies, I'm jumping on the hood of the Lexus. Okay, if parts come off that, and I mean, he's got smoke coming out from under the brakes and all the rest of it. And you're like, well, I, this, this is, you know. And there's a part of you that says, lady, you have no idea how gracious you should be that I am saved. Because before my salvation, there were things that guys on motorcycles would do to alleviate these problems. Uh, and I, I just said, Lord, if this is it, <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky? <laughs> really? You know. But see, that's the kind of stuff that you and I, when I spend my time intently looking at the face of Jesus Christ, I ain't angry about it. It ain't going to do any good. And then the lady looks at me like I'm in the wrong place. Well, this lady next door won't let me over. <laughs> so I'm just going to stay here. But, you know, it did finally thin out. and I'm still here. But see, it transforms us. There's no anger. I thought it was kind of funny at the time, but I thought, boy, this is cozy. I'm, I'm glad I'm not claustrophobic. All right. But you think about the things that in your walk with Jesus Christ, in the, in the time that you have known him, it has changed. And if it hasn't, then I would suggest you go back to square one. Okay. But it also strengthens us. Chapter 4, verse 1. We have received mercy. We do not lose heart. Listen, there, there has to be a time that you understand the holiness and righteousness of God who saved you. And in that, you will stand in a complete awe of his mercy. 
All right. And if you're not there, then you will be easily swayed to lose heart. And it literally the word in the original language is to become cowardly. I am not going to be cowardly. Why? Because I know the mercy that has been shown me. Not only the mercy of my salvation, but he gave me the mercy of my ministry. Remember how he started it out in verse six of chapter three? He has made us adequate as servants. Why? The implication is who's adequate? Who can deal with the eternal destiny of souls? And, and what school would you go to to get that information? But as I look intently, as Israel could not look intently at the glory that was on Moses, we can, with unveiled face, see the glory of God manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. As we look intently upon that, we become strengthened because all of a sudden his mercy gets bigger and bigger every day. We sang amazing grace. I look at the evangelical body today and we're not amazed by it. But yeah, amazing grace. Don't, don't they play that at everybody's funeral? It's really good on bagpipes. I heard Jimi Hendrix play it once. You see what I'm trying to get at? That's kind of the way we look at it. Now, we would say grace is unmerited favor. But when you look at the lives we live, it isn't that way. And the reason is that we are not intently looking at the face of Jesus Christ. Because as I look into his face, I will be strengthened, transformed. And it's a very clear look. It also purifies the second part of verse 2 there, you see. We have renounced the hidden things because of shame. We don't walk in it. See, the Holy Spirit convicts us even when nobody else knows. You ever had that problem? Nobody's going to admit to it. <laughs> but, but, but there are things, when you came to salvation, you're like, oh, I, I was in construction trades when I got saved, and, and I had um, a very limited verbs that I used to express what it was I needed accomplished on certain job sites. Uh, you would classify it as profanity, okay? And when I came to salvation, uh, profanity, when I used it, was like sticking my head in a barrel. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, I remember guys that I was working with on some several different crews. Um, they said, well, you don't cuss no more. What's the matter? <laughs> so I haven't hurt myself. So, <laughs> you know, when you smack your thumb with a hammer, <laughs> move that faster, Okay. Um, but it, it, it's just things like that that we see that, you know what, what has mastery over you? Because out of the mouth speaks the, the heart. And yet God says, now that you've been saved, the hidden things that bring shame have been, re you've renounced them. But you also have a love for truth. All of a sudden you realize that the gospel is not based on craftiness or adulterating the word. Perverting the word. Making it say what it wants. A friend of mine once says that the, the, the word of God is like a prisoner of war. If you persecute it long enough, it'll say anything. It's true. It's true. People... Uh, topical preachers bother me at times because they, they come up with an idea that they... Begin the great search to find a Bible verses that will validate what they believe is this great idea. It's like when I hear certain pastors teach on parables, I get I just cringe. 
because I can almost make a parable say anything I want it to. The problem is Jesus usually defines them and nobody ever reads those. But the craftiness is, what can I do to get my, my point approved? And that's craftiness. And, and you see that it's the same thing that Paul speaks of in chapter 11 of this letter, that the devil deceived Eve by craftiness. So there's a love for truth. And I want it. I want to hear it. But then we've been we're looking over the last couple of weeks at point six there, verses three and four, of the privilege of looking into the face of Jesus Christ. The privilege. Um, as today, as in the time of Paul, uh, many would mock the preacher today uh, as as being too simple. Uh, not being clever enough, not being creative enough. Um, and one of the things that I, I think about when I hear this, because, uh, you know, I, I see people that are, quote unquote, doing demographic studies. What's the socioeconomical position of this group that I'm trying to reach? Uh, what is the educational background of these people? And, and when I hear that, I think of, are you trying to be crafty? Because we've already looked at it. I I try to ask myself a simple question. Who can halt the perishing? Who has the ability to overpower the depravity that is in man? And, And then I start thinking about the depravity of man. And I say, you know what? It is more powerful than any preacher... Even false preachers or even true preachers. Verse 4 says, they're blinded. They're blinded. It's, it's amazing because he says, if our gospel is veiled, okay, so it starts out, how? They've got something externally that is over them that they can't see. But he says they're also blinded. They're not just veiled, they're blinded. See, they're veiled by their unbelief. By their unbelief. Listen, um, the love of sin is greater than the love of truth. Do you understand that? You've got to understand that. You have no way. How do you get rid of that? I give truth. I commend it to every man's conscience. Okay, then the war starts. Because when you bring truth to the conscience, what happens? Conviction. Conviction. And they don't want that. Why? Men love their sin. Isn't it true? Look around. They love the darkness. And on top of their love for their sin, which gives them unbelief, they're blind. They're blind. The view is blocked externally because of unbelief. The view is blocked internally because they are blind. See, 
I actually listened to a pastor one time, actually a, a professor at a seminary, try to argue there's a difference between perishing and unbelieving. And yet this text says, no, there ain't. Those who are perishing are perishing because of unbelief. And because of unbelief, they are perishing. It's the same coin. But yet you see the experts and the experts say, oh, no, there's a difference. Uh, No. Anybody who is perishing is perishing because they're unbelieving. Anybody that is unbelieving is perishing. And they would argue, and I heard the argument, and I thought it was the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life, that, that there is such a thing as an unbelieving Christian. And trust me, there isn't. There is no such thing as an unbelieving Christian. So this veil that we looked at last week is compounded. Okay, how is it compounded? Look what it says here. In whose case, those who are veiled, in whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, has blinded their minds. Okay, the God of this world. Okay, world. Two words in the Greek language for world. One is cosmos. That would be creation. Cosmos is what we get from it. The other one is ion. Okay, and it means age. Okay, so when you see the word here, God of this world, or it'd be age. It was God of this ion. Whoever the God of this age is, is in control of this age. He is in control of what you would classify and I would classify as man's age. You look at today's world, okay? And I'm talking the globe, the whole thing, okay? This God controls the thoughts. He controls the ideas. He controls the opinions. He controls the aims. He controls the goals. He controls the views of this current age. Man's age. Okay? He reigns in this world's philosophies and psychologies. Okay? Now, I want you to get this right because I don't want you to miss this. This is global. You can't just say, well, he's doing it with the communist. No, he's doing it with the capitalist. He's doing it with the dictatorships. He's doing it with the representative republics, the democracies, the socialist democracies, whatever you want to call it, whatever the system. Guess what? I don't care what the system is. He's in control. He controls the education. He controls the marketplaces. The world's labor agenda. Sociology. In every enterprise that exists on the planet Earth today, he is the monarch. Okay? So, who is he? It's easy. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 8. 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You get that? You can't give what you don't have 
And he took Jesus on a mountaintop and he showed him what? All the kingdoms of the world. Okay? He is the God of this age. He'll go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 31. Now the judgment is upon the world. And now the ruler of this world will be cast down. Okay, note, there's but one. Okay? Chapter 14, John's Gospel, verse 30. I will not speak much more with you. The ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Okay, that's Jesus saying the ruler of this world. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay? So Satan, or the devil, is called the ruler of this world. All right? Very clear? Well, if it ain't, I'll give you some more. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In which you formerly walked. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. Okay? Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 26. Speaking of those who would come against a man of God and his teaching. The Lord's bond service must not be quarrelsome, but be kind and able to teach, patient when wrong. With gentleness, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Now, this one here should, should settle it. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you get what part of the whole world? Okay, do you notice that? That even if you say, in God we trust on your coins, you're still in whose lap? See, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Okay, well, how does he do that? How does he blind the minds of the unbelieving? It ain't the way you think. It's not like Hollywood describes it. Okay, that a demon sneaks in through your bowl of Cheerios and you swallow it and... All of a sudden, you're demon-possessed or something to that effect. How does he do it? I know everybody's like, I ain't eating Cheerios. (laughs) It's obvious that guy thinks they're demon-possessed. He has molded the society in which you and I live. And that society has a massive influence over your life. And he has done that in every single society. 
All of the ideologies that exist on the planet Earth, all of them, everything in this world is under the control of the God of this age. Do you understand that? You've got to get a hold of that because you're dealing with people who are veiled and blinded by the God of this age. And you think cleverness is going to fix it? Well, if I sing the song enough times, I can get them to walk an aisle. It's not enough that people are dead in their trespasses and sin. Have you ever seen a dead man respond? You know what a hat pin is? Anybody know what a hat pin is? Used to be these pins about that long and women would stick it through the hat and into a big poofy thing of hair and hope they don't stick it in the top of their head. Okay, but it's, it's, it's a hat pin and it was keep the wind from blowing the hat off. You can take a hat pin to a corpse and stick it right in the butt. And you know what? It will not cuss. Do you know that? I can stick a corpse with a hat pin. I can't even make it angry at me. That's the terminology that speaks of lost people. How are you going to get them to respond? If there's not divine intervention, it ain't happening. I mean, that in itself is like, wow, man. How difficult is that? But then think about it. Not only are they dead in their sin and trespasses, they're veiled. Because of their sin, they can't see the glory of God in the person of Christ. Not only are they veiled, the God of this age has blinded them and has made the whole system cater to their depravity. And you believe you can be clever enough to get around that? They are veiled from truth because they hate the light and they love darkness. You compound that. Satan has created a system in this age that encourages their depravity and deepens the darkness. When John, Jesus spoke in John's Gospel 844, you are of your father the devil. Now, I want you to understand something. If they do not believe in Jesus Christ, I don't care what they're doing. I know who's in control of them. Okay? They can be religious. Satan will let them go to church. But if you watch them, what is their master? Their system. The system that are around them. The ideologies that are around them. The sociologies that are around them. They're blind, perishing unbelievers that are following Satan's system. It's not that Satan gets into your mind individually. He creates a system that is in the world, and that system elevates sin and elevates depravity. Listen, it can come in the name of Islam. It can come in the name of Roman Catholicism. It can come in the name... Fill it in. Fill it in. And one of the tragedies that I've seen is that's what the church is doing now. It is trying to elevate your depravity. 
Let me make you get along with it. It's, it's just like a, I shared this morning. Uh, I had a guy who emailed me about um, New York State passing. Uh, it's legal for homosexuals to marry. And the guy had emailed me and he says, well, what do you think about that? And I says, still not marriage. And they said, well, but it's legal in New York. I said, God created marriage and that ain't the way he created it. So you can call it whatever you want to call it. But it still ain't marriage in light of Scripture. I mean, I know what truth says. I don't care what you call it. But see, that's what you and I do. We're trying to just, can't we just get along? Let's don't offend nobody. Really? Let me let you rest in your depravity. Let me never confront your sin. Really? Then how can you ever Look intently at the face of Jesus Christ. The systems that we are involved in globally elevate sins and elevates depravity. If you look at the world, look at the whole thing. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it this way? Look at it. Satan is in charge of all of it. It's easy. His servants, fallen angels, demons are carrying out this operation. Remember, it's their personal life. It shouldn't affect their political life. What did you just say? What did you just say? And the system says, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. When you look at crime, you look at hatred, Bitterness, anger, injustice, unfairness, envy, unceasing war on every front. And it's individual and collectively as nations. You know, I I remember when they passed hate crime legislation. You realize how silly that is? Hate crime legislation? Well, I have love crime legislation. I stole from them because I love them so much. And I was afraid that all that money would cause them to stumble. That's the doofiest stuff I ever heard. It's hate crime. Hate crime? So all the rest of it is loving crime? Have you ever noticed that it never seems like anything seems to be fixed? We had a war of in all wars. But nobody got the memo. So we had the second war to end all. And then, well, we're not going to have war anymore. It's going to be a police action. And now it's just a conflict. Oh, I got news for you. You got soldiers going in. You got tanks and bombs and airplanes. I don't care how you cut it. That's a war. And yet the world says, no, we are peacekeepers. Great. But, you know, I just take it across the globe, brothers and sisters. It hasn't changed. There's nothing has changed. We can just do it more proficiently. That's the only difference. Every time we fix it, it seems to get worse and worse. I was doing some research as I was pulling this together months ago. And everybody knows what the GDP is, gross domestic product. What do we produce? Do you know what the number one 
industry in the United States is? And you know that that industry is so big that they can't put a number. They, they think it's somewhere between $500 billion annually to maybe $1.5 trillion annually. You know what it is? Pornography. But it's so moving that we can't really put a, you know, it's not like you're going to find it on the stock market. So you can't really say, well, these are what my annual sales are going to be. But it's the number one thing we export. And nobody's really sure how much we export. And you know what? Nobody cares. We're not interested. But you know what? The system, listen, if it's that big a moneymaker, you know what that means? Somebody's buying. They did a, a, a survey with pastors and they found out that in, I forget, it's like 88 or 89% of pastors have looked at pornography on the internet. What's wrong with that picture? I guess I shouldn't use that term, huh? <laughs> that didn't quite come out right. Dude, my internet frustrates me so much, I couldn't find it if I had to. You know, I, I never did understand it, pornography, because even as a kid, I was like, it's a picture. You know what that means to me? It ain't real. It's a picture. And yet... If it's that big an industry, then tell me the problem is what? Somebody's buying. And so we have a system that encourages it, directs it. I mean, I can go on and on about this. I had some dealings with Douglas County High School and what they were promoting. And you're like, really? Um, They... They're talking about Catholic charities are not going to be able to give adoptions anymore because they won't give to, what do they call it now? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever. And they have in their rules, we can't do it. And states are changing their rules and they're closing down these adoption agencies. Why? They're striving for the depravity of man. If you look at our morality, is it not right now, right now, being redefined? And it's been going on for a while. It's been going on for a while. Why? It is the working out of a God-hating agenda of Satan. That's what it is. The ruler of this age. And if you look at the world today, the whole world, does it not reflect him? It's, I don't know. And you know what? It's part of the reason that I think it's a waste to think that politically we can alter his system. Really? Really, you really believe that if you get a 
handful of politicians in there, you will change Satan's system. Man is subject to his supernatural powers. It is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Let me push those and guess what? I'll have a massive following. So to think that on a social level or a political level, you can try and change this, you're out of your minds. You have a whole culture of unbelieving people who hate light, love darkness. What are they going to be encouraged to do? They're going to perish. Refusing to believe they are veiled from the truth and they are blinded by Satan and his system and they are dead in their sin. Do you realize the privilege that you have to look at the face of Jesus in light of those odds? They will always follow the system that encourages depravity. Read the book of Revelations. There's this thing that everybody struggles with. I don't think it's that hard to struggle with because I just it's in there. It's got to be true. It's called the millennial kingdom, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ, where? Here. Okay. Did you know that there's survivors out of the seven years of tribulation? Mortals who survived the seven year tribulation. And Satan and the, his followers are thrown in prison. And you have 1,000 year reign that reflects what? Christ. And those who rule with Christ. For 1,000 years. And sin and the temptation of sin is removed. So it's easy for a person to live 1,000 years. What causes you to die? Sin. Do you understand that when Adam ate of the fruit, what he did was to give the authority, the reign of the world to Satan? He was to rule and bring it into submission. Adam... Go do that. And Adam ate of the fruit and says, no, I'm going to let Lucifer do it. And here's where we're at today. It hasn't changed. And there's coming a time at that thousand years when Jesus Christ will set up his rule and he will rule for the age of the millennial kingdom and it will reflect him. Look at the world today. What does it reflect? Satan. So what you would look at in the millennial kingdom will be 180 degrees opposite of what you see today. Selflessness. Think about that. The whole globe, not self-centered. I mean, everybody be helping granny across the street. Think about it. You will not need charitable organizations. Just, you've got to get a hold of this. Because what you see right now is the corruption when Adam ate of the fruit. And he says, I do not want to have authority. I do not want to rule. Guess what? He can. And you know what he said? I'm in. 
have I got something for you. An entire globe for 1,000 years following the agenda of Christ. Wow. <laughs> you know what that means? Israeli Palestinian peace. <laughs> the world will take on a complete opposite character. It will be a direct reflection of the will of its ruler. Our planet today is a direct reflection of the will of its ruler. It ain't any of them. It ain't politicians. It will be Christ and those who rule with him. Right now it's Satan's. Now I want to show you something here. The book of Acts, chapter 26. Now, remember who's writing this letter to the Corinthians, right? Who is it? Paul. Acts 26, verse 18. Uh, Paul is uh, giving his testimony. And here's what he says. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's Jesus speaking. That was Paul was sent to do. Open their eyes. Paul says, we are tools. And God will do the enlightening. He, he will use us as instruments. Do you understand the privilege? Who's adequate for this task? None of us. But God has made us adequate by removing the veil and removing the authority of the God of this age to keep us blind. Now listen, it's still a privilege, but I want you to understand something about looking into the face of Jesus. It is limited. It is limited to look into the face of Christ, not because we have achieved something. It's not because we intellectually aspired to something or we were religious or we did some good deed or we were clever or we were creative. We are engulfed in such a deadness, veiled and blinded, it's impossible for us to see the light unless God invades the soul impossible verse 6 of chapter 4 says it is God who turns the light on in us Paul is saying don't criticize me for being simplistic in my preaching who is adequate in this cleverness that the world blinds verse 4 says they will not see the light they will not see it Absolutely would not see it. You think about it today. One of the things that stands out in our society today are humble people. I remember when Mickey Mantle hit his 500th home run. And, I mean, everybody was standing up and cheering. And, oh, oh. and he goes into the dugout. He runs the bases. They give him high fives at the home plate. He goes in there. And um, everybody's yelling and screaming, come out, take a bow, take a bow, take a bow. And he wouldn't come out. And everybody says, well, he's, he's arrogant. He won't even come out and take a bow. And they interviewed him after the game. Why didn't you come out? You 500 home run, man. The whole people were going nuts for you. Why didn't you come out? He said, you know that guy's on the mound? He 
He didn't want me to hit the 500th home run. Why would I stand out and embarrass him for his bad pitch and I put it over the fence? He says, I get paid to hit home runs. He gets paid to try to keep me from doing it. Why would I want to embarrass that man? That's Mickey Mantle. He was a pretty lousy baseball player. You see what I'm trying to get at, Bill? We tout that. The churches tout it. Well, I go to such and such church because my pastor's been published. What did he publish? A book on church growth. I've got one on church growth. See what I'm trying to get at? Somebody who's humble is an amazing creature. And of course, then we think, well, I just don't know. Maybe they're just not confident. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see it. There's no manipulation, there's no method, there's no cleverness, there's no special lighting, there's no TV channel that can open blind eyes. It's impossible. Can't be done. Who is adequate for this gospel? It's called the gospel of Christ. It's called the gospel of God. It's called the gospel of the glory of Christ. You can't open your eyes. Good news. Christ revealed. God revealed. He says he blinds their minds. What does he mean by blinding their minds? 24, um, yeah, Luke 24, 45. This is the uh, boys on the road to Emmaus. He starts making the sense of the scriptures and explaining to them. And then it says here in verse 45 that Jesus opened their minds to understand scriptures. Okay, the God of this world has what? Blinded their minds. Okay, the word minds in the Greek language means their ability to reason. The ability to reason. The perishing and the unbelieving can't think. They can't reason. Romans 1.28 says, They have a reprobate mind, a depraved mind. It is found useless for its intended purpose. It can't do it. You can lay the truth out. Think about it. Jesus stood in front of the Pharisee, God incarnate, and they couldn't see him. Couldn't see him. It is a useless mind. It is in love with sin and it loves Satan's system. Because it elevates their depravity. It can be about me. Who else is going to care about me? What good is your cleverness? What good is your human wisdom? What good is preparing a presentation of Christ? How could you bring one to their senses? If their mind is useless. Blind, veiled, dead, dark. That's the way the Bible describes lost people. 
only way it's going to happen, how will people respond, is if God turns on the light. That is it. Well, that sounds like Calvinism. No, that sounds like Bible. It's, this small G is running the place. This small God. This is a creature who thinks he is God. And he's just a rebellious creature like fallen humanity. That is all he is. Yet he has influence on fallen hearts. Deadly results. But you know what? You cruise through it and you watch them and you realize they do not see the glory of God. They don't see it. But you know what is tragedy there? They can't. They can't. That's why we pray for the lost. You have to pray for them. Why? They don't have any ability. They're blind. They're naked. They're depraved. They're veiled. And they are in a system that keeps them there, that keeps their mind useless. How can you and I not be grateful at the privilege of looking at the face of Christ? Knowing that it is very clear that God made it clear to you and I. It was His prerogative. How do we know when I look at it and I look at it intently, it transforms me into the very same image and it also strengthens me for the task that is at hand so that nothing in this world can steal my joy nor my peace? It purifies me because it points out things that other people may not see in me that says that's wrong. It causes me to love truth even when it's attacked. And they're always telling me that it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Why? Because you love your darkness. You love your darkness so much that everything I will tell you will be wrong. Until you see him face to face. How can I ever look at my time of looking into the Bible of the Word of God and not understand the privilege of looking intently at the face of Jesus Christ so I may see the glory of God? First John chapter 2, verse 8 says, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I'm going to ask you a simple question and I'll close with it. Are you looking intently into the face of Jesus Christ? Or have you bought what the world's selling? Because I tell you what, they're per persuasive. Absolutely, they are persuasive. They even have, the world system even has advertising. They'll package it up, market it to you. We can make it so you don't even have to go to church anymore. You can watch us on TV. Just send money. You don't even have to get off of your holy throne. Fascinating, don't you think? Fascinating. But know this, brothers and sisters. The darkness is fading. Light has come 
And I hate to break the news to you, it's getting brighter. It's getting brighter. You don't believe me? Why are they somatic Christians? Brighter it gets, the more you squint. You ever seen somebody who's been in the darkness, you take, put a flashlight in their eyes? Their response to you is not, hey, peace and love and tranquility, brother. Turn that light off, turn it off now, or I'm going to break it in love. Isn't that what we do? And when light comes on to people who have been in the darkness, who have their minds been seared, guess what? You'll have your hands full. But like I said, I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom. When the whole globe is about Christ's agenda. (laughs) That freaks me out. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, the author and finisher of our faith. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the amazing things you have done. Lord, may we rest in that. Father, it is an amazing privilege to be able to look upon the person of Jesus Christ to see your glory. And Father, as we continue to look intently, we ourselves are transformed. I, I, I still stand in awe of that. Father, I just thank you for that privilege. And Lord, may each of us here who are called by your names understand that privilege and the mercy that has been given to us. Father, put in each of us an overwhelming desire to look intently into the face of Jesus Christ. May we be overwhelmed with what we see and understand the privilege. Father, may we walk in a manner worthy to your glory, to your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen.